Reconstructionist Radio presents Justice in His Kingdom, examining the religious nature of justice with Jerry Lynn Ward and Roger Oliver. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Justice in His Kingdom. Today we are pleased to interview Dr. James L. Sauer. Dr. Sauer has written extensively on the issues of justice and has contrasted social justice as that term is being used today from justice as defined by God. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Sauer. Dr. Sauer, thank you so much for being with us here today. Glad to be here. I'd like for you to tell the folks a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, what you've done in the past. Uh, and let me just preface that by saying you came to our attention because of a, an article that was recently republished in uh, at the Chalcedon Foundation website. And they had published an article uh, in the Chalcedon Report back in April of 1988 called The Myth of Social Justice. And would you tell us a little bit about how that article came about and then what you what you've done the past few decades insofar as work is concerned and calling? That's great. Uh, uh, asking a megalomaniac uh, about to talk about themselves is an easy thing to do. And I can talk about that. Uh, Lord willing, I'm not a megalomaniac. But uh, uh, my background a little bit. I, uh, I was raised a Plymouth Brethren in Buffalo, New York. Uh, uh, Plymouth Brethren are, of course, uh, one of the foundational de- non-denominations, as they call themselves, uh, re- related to the dispensational uh, tradition of faith. My studies of Scripture led me, however, uh, to the Reformed faith. Uh, and uh, when my wife and I moved uh, to uh, Philadelphia from Buffalo, we uh, began looking for churches. We wound up at a Presbyterian church, which we've been at since for the last 40 years. A Presbyterian Church in America church. Uh, I'm an elder there. I've been elder for the last 40 years. That goes to show, well, 35 years, I think, uh, the, 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 in that church, Olive Street Presbyterian in, in Coatesville, formerly Emmanuel Presbyterian. Anyways, I uh, became increasingly uh, uh, reformed in my worldview, and uh, I've, I've served in that manner. What called us to Philadelphia was I was unemployed in Buffalo, New York, where I'd gone to the secular institutions of uh, State University of New York at Buffalo. Uh, in, uh, I studied uh, literature and uh, uh, library science. I was a librarian in Buffalo, and I was called. Uh, I was unemployed. Uh, again, a, a manifestation of God's providence. I was unemployed in Buffalo. I'd sent out a hundred resumes around the country. I had had no interviews, nothing. And then out of the clear blue, I get a call from Eastern University uh, from someone. I'm a, an adult at this point. I'm 24 years, 25 years old. And my Sunday school teacher from when I was in high school met someone at a conference and said, I know an, and, and someone at Eastern was looking for a librarian. And they he said, oh, I know a librarian who's looking for work. I didn't even know you knew I was unemployed. He hands the person my name and number. The person calls me. I'm called to Eastern University in Philadelphia, and that's where I I came. They're they're just outside Philly in St. David's. That's God's work. Uh, Mm -hmm. I applied for the job, uh, and God provided. We moved down here. Another little Buffalo anecdote. So we're moving from Buffalo, and it's January, and we're Mm -hmm. on the radio. They're saying, stay off the roads. There's a major storm coming. Don't drive if you don't have to. And we're driving down in our U-Haul, and we're thinking, uh, we see a little beautiful snow coming down, glazing the roads and the, the grass. And I know you're in Texas, but you won't appreciate the snow story. So we're saying, when is the snow going to hit? When are they going to really have the snow, the, the storm? That was the storm. So anyways, we came down. We, we settled. We've had uh, eight children. One passed to be with the Lord. And uh, I've worked at Eastern University as director of library and uh, uh, went through from the card catalog to the CD-ROMs to the online databases, which now uh, are the main stay of, of academic uh, study and research. 
Uh, I left Eastern uh, in 2019 and worked for uh, and uh, kind of a forced retirement as everyone's cutting down and, and whatnot. And I wound up at Evangelical Seminary in Myerstown, Pennsylvania, uh, close to Lancaster, a little bit north of that. Uh, and I, I worked there for a year. A wonderful group of people who love the Lord. So uh, now I'm uh, doing some writing and uh, I'm teaching a course at Lancaster Bible, staying active active in academia and uh, uh, Lancaster Bible College and uh, basically uh, trying to read more, write more, and remain active in my church and and, in the academic world. Well, you wrote this article that I've mentioned before, The Myth of Social Justice. And so uh, our podcast is about justice, God's justice. And so I'd like to preface the rest of the podcast and then turn it over to Roger. From a Christian perspective, how would you define justice? Well, I think justice is known by the scripture as well as by uh, common sense, uh, natural law, which is a person receiving uh, what is due to them. And so there's a positive and a negative element to justice. Uh, if I do a labor and we've agreed on a uh, payment for it, then justice is receiving what is due to you. That's the positive side. In other words, uh, and I recognize we're Christians, we believe in a fallen world, but that would be a kind of justice, a positive. There's also the negative element of justice. I do an evil to someone or to God, and I receive what is just for that action. That would be the punishment element, the negative side of justice, but it would be just. So as a Christian, I believe in a fallen world. I believe that all human beings are sinners, uh, that uh, all of our the Calvinist phrase is total depravity. A better way would be to say it's a uh, an element of depravity which functions through your entire being. In other words, your will is depraved, your body's broken, your, uh, your mind uh, is... is condemned by uh, sin, your actions are sinful, you are a sinner, you've, you've got a problem. And uh, the, the Christian notion, uh, the doctrine of this, of course, means that as a sinner, justice to you is God's condemnation of you. You stand condemned before God, both by who you are, what you are, how you act, what you think, your entire being is desperately wicked. You, you've got a problem. Now, we also believe that the counter sign of that, of that, if you will, that we're made in God's image. There are elements of us that still reflect God's glory and nature. And uh, in, in that sense, there, there are still elements of us. We're not as bad as we could be, we, but we're bad. <laughs> in other words, we, we're not demons. We're redeemable. Uh, so... Uh, that so the nature of justice, therefore, is that we receive what's due to us, in the positive as well as the negative sense. Very good. I uh, I was interested in talking to you because I, the article just I had been thinking about it and I wrote some notes in my own journal about social justice and whether a Christian can actually call himself a social justice warrior and all that sort of thing, which I hope we can get into a little bit, which is in your article. But I just, my wife wanted to read it. She says, hey, this thing was published in 1988. It was curious to me that it was on April 1st. Well, there's nothing, there's nothing April foolish about it. So how, how okay, so we've, we've got an idea of what justice is. What, what do you think, well, what is your understanding of what social justice I didn't realize it went back that far, is my point. I was jumping out of airplanes in the 82nd Airborne at the time and keeping busy. So, you know, I, wasn't, I was worried about uh, justice outside the country and some of our nonsense there. But what, what is social justice? It, has it changed over the, over the last three decades? Uh, so, for, first of all, I want to say... Uh, I'm thankful for Eastern University giving me a, uh, a position uh, to work there. And as I was pretty well known as a conservative, uh, and, and, uh, but I was tolerated. Eastern is a university known for Tony Campolo, 
uh, who is a, a little bit more uh, left-wing and has increasingly become that in terms of uh, sexual issues. Uh, so I was tolerated there, and I was very thankful for the way they treated me. Uh, it, was, it was a good institution. However, it, uh, social justice was a major element in much of their thinking. And even in the 80s, I, I became more aware of social justice, uh, the concept being used, and increasingly in a way that didn't jive, from my point of view, with, uh, and I think uh, legitimately, from uh, of how we look at what biblical justice is. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of led the seeds of, of uh, me beginning to think about this. Uh, at that time, also in the early 80s, I became a little bit more aware of uh, Christian reconstruction elements, as I uh, uh, communicated when I was talking to Jerry earlier. I'm kind of a Christian reconstruction fellow traveler. I'm not a Christ Christian reconstructionist. I'm, uh, I'm more of an amillennialist than a postmillennialist. Uh, I think that we go through waves and waves of God uh, achieving what he wants in specific societies, succeeding with the gospel. We see that has happened in Europe, happened in the Reformation, seems to be happening in Africa now, and in, in some ways in China, not with their government, but certainly with the people. Uh, and then we see uh, apostasy taking place in much of the West. So we have layers and layers of, of, of this concept of God's work and justice in the world and this gospel. But what led me again to think more about uh, about justice was the tendency to view uh, justice, social justice, in what would be considered uh, left-wing or liberal uh, ideas. The notion that, for instance, that we can all be equal we can all have an equality, we should all uh, attempt in our laws to have an equality of justice before the law. In other words, uh, even in the scripture it says, do not uh, uh, favor the poor and don't favor the rich. You don't, you're not to favor anyone. You're to achieve God's uh, view of justice. In other words, give the person their due. Give, uh, uh, protect the weak who are, if bribery is being used against them or just or judges are not uh, obeying the law correctly, we recognize that there's injustice in the world. And so we want justice to, to take place. So, but I was increasingly seeing, especially in the liberal mind, a tendency to think that we can make a better world by changing all the, the, uh, uh, the educational structures, the cultural structures, uh, etc. Um, and so I think that once you realize that man, every generation produces another generation of sinners, you cannot by law, by education, by culture, by tradition, that's the hidden at the conservatives now, nothing can eliminate man's nature. Conservative Christianity and conservatism generally has recognized that. And so it builds, it says we hold traditions in order to hold good things together. We hold, we have law in order to restrain evil. Uh, we have, uh, uh, we're attempting not to make a perfect world, but in this imperfect world to, to maintain and hold on to what is good, to protect us from what is evil, and to live a life where the gospel can in some way, for Christians, in some way grow. Mm -hmm. Hence, you look at the West and you see that generally its institutions have attempted to restrain evil, checks and balances in our American system, uh, etc. But not this, we're going to make a perfect world. Leftism has always tended to have this utopian, is utopian. It's, it looks at the end and says, this is the perfect world we want to get to. This is, if you will, the Marxist, the communist world, the ultimate where, where we achieve that. Well, in order to get there, we're going to have to break a few heads, and they do so. Okay, so let's uh, see if we can, uh, maybe you can contrast biblical justice. That's a, That was a mouthful. That was quite a paragraph there. Contrast biblical justice with this idea of social justice as as it's floating around in the air today. I think you covered that in your article. Uh, 
It's really interesting that it was that long ago. Yeah. Um, so basically, social justice, is, 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 because it sounds so beautiful, uh, is, is a very popular idea. But it's not uh, in its... Again, there, uh, go a little tangent here. Christianity does have an element of social justice, but the social justice is, as I mentioned, uh, love, love, and, and and care for the poor, love for the the the, the widow, the orphan. Uh, in other words, we there, there's a sense that's not so much justice as social as, as Christian love. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, but the the notion of having this ideal of social justice which is then arbitrarily picked as what the ideals will be. Uh, well, uh, ideal equality, uh, uh, ideal uh, education for everyone. We all have a right to education. That is, we don't know. <laughs> we don't have a right to anything in that sense. Uh, we all have uh, a right to equal income. Well, you don't. Those are not, those are not, uh, that's, those are Marxist notions which have been, produced as ideals and then we have to reconstruct the world around from a Marxist point of view to achieve those goals mm-hmm. so the Christian notion on the other hand is that we again are, are creating uh, uh, we're based on a, a, a nomocratic which is to say a a legal set of biblical laws and natural laws which God has put into the universe and so we are trying to maintain, protect, and use those revealed and natural laws that God's given us to hold a society together, to bring good, to, to create a garden in which growth can occur. It's an organic uh, world of, of growth. The other view, the social justice view, again, are these ideals that are arbitrarily picked as the ideals we're going to have, gender equality, uh, uh I believe that racial equality before the law, but if you look at any group and just say, oh, people with black hair do less well in school than people with blonde hair, then you start building laws and systems of government to achieve that. You can't do that. It's a crazy way of thinking. And that's what, if you will, a Marxist notion does. It also creates a world of uh, oppressor and oppressed as its, as its methodology. Because in order to, if you have these ideals and you're not attaining them, Marxist ideals, then there's a reason for that. And it must be that someone's holding you back from getting to that point, the oppressors. And again, in, in our current, uh, in, in the, the article I wrote in 88, it was mostly the traditional Marxist uh, uh, viewpoint. We now have kind of an applied Marxism that's going on in the world, which is the critical race theory and critical theory generally. And it is interesting that I first ran into this in the early 2000s, the critical theory. And I had, hadn't taken uh, literature courses since 1985. And I was taking some uh, courses, graduate courses, at the Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I don't know why it's named Indiana in the middle of Pennsylvania, but the, there it is, Indiana, Pennsylvania. Uh, Jimmy uh, Stewart, a great conservative uh, actor, if you will. Uh, anyways, and I was taking these courses, and I and I uh, was in a program, and I, I realized, well, why are we judging everything on gender, on uh, what what they called uh, uh, the imperial? I'm trying to think the imperialism. The uh, uh, anyways, it, basically, it was uh, Western imperial uh, colonialism mm-hmm. uh, on uh, gender, r- race theory on. Uh, uh, L- LGBT, uh, queer, what they call queer literature. Mm-hmm. And I looked at all these layers, and it, they were not just those f- four or five I just mentioned. There were like a dozen. And all of these were, were uh, uh, judging reality on a Marxist, applied Marxism theory. Uh, and I realized I took this course, it was a fine course, but it was one of the early ones. And I, looking at these, I said, there's no way I can get through this program. At some point, they'll realize I'm a Christian and a conservative. And that was in the early 2000s. And now I realize with the cancel culture that's going on, mm-hmm. how difficult it will be for Christians, uh, for Orthodox, uh, Biblical uh, Christians, uh, even especially a conservative Catholic, conservative Orthodox, conservative Evangelical, Reformed, 
uh, evangelicals and fundamentalists of all sorts, for them to get through any of these programs, it will be very difficult because we will be canceled. We will be, it'll be recognized. And so you could have taken 12, 15 courses in a graduate program, done very well in all of them. At the end, they'll say, well, uh, we don't like your thesis. And they could just run you through the, the hoops and fail mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. So it's it's it, uh, this is a uh, not a fear, but I think this is a a reality that we're, we're starting to see is that the Christians will increasingly uh, be uh, pushed out. It could be the law profession. I have no no doubt that that's going on in some of the law schools now. Uh, anyways, back to to the, the myth of social justice. So I, I saw uh, in the. Uh, uh, as we look at the world, the world is fallen, has warts. The conservative Christian, Judeo-Christian framework does not attempt to make a millennium in this world. We recognize that the gospel goes forward. It conquers souls. It conquers societies. From my point of view, for a time, maybe for elaborate lengths of time, but it cannot per make a perfect people or perfect society, or perfect culture. And so, you've reformed few, you, uh, reformed always reforming. You're, you're always in a position where the gospel continues to be preached and reconstructed in, in, in the world we live in. Uh, so I think the battle uh, seems to be between, uh, again, a, a millennialists, Marxist millennialists, and, and, and a Christian view, which basically says, this is the world we're in. Um, mm -hmm. You will have troubles as Christ is mm -hmm. pointed out. Can I interject here? It, it seems to me from listening to you that one big distinction between biblical justice and this social justice is that under God's law, justice is something that's very individual, whereas social justice is completely collectivist. And I remember back in the 70s when I was involved in, I think I told you about this, I was involved in student government and went to the National uh, Student Association and National Student Lobby Convention in D.C. And already then in the mid-70s, they were talking about electing their board in accordance with the percentage of, uh, uh, you know, breaking it down into percentages according to race, sex, and and other kinds of factors like that that are not personal to an individual, but whether are labels that are collectively put on groups of people. Would you agree that the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of God's plan is that it, justice is something that is individual? Yes, General. Uh, for, uh, you, you can see that the Marxist function completely with a class basis. And in fact, you always need class warfare. Uh, and in fact, Although they say they're going to get to their ultimate society, uh, it'll never happen because reality is what it is. And because if they give up the notion of class warfare, then they give up being communists. They give up more Marxists. They, they need the war. And so they're always pitting group against group. The, the gospel, if there was, as the cliche goes, it's true. If there's only one person in the universe that... Uh, that uh, would, would that God had called to repent, Christ would have gone to the cross for us, for that individual. But it's not just one individual; it's many individuals coming to faith in Christ, coming to uh, uh, a knowledge that God loves them, has given Himself for them, uh, gives takes the penalty back to justice, and gives us the blessing, uh, 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 the grace of. of of a, a renewed, uh, regenerated spirit. And so uh, the Christian faith is always the individual in his relation to God with this caveat that the, the church is, in fact, the collective body. It is not, uh, it is not a, a body which, now this is my Reformed view compared to the Catholic view, it is not a body in which it's all under one head, the Pope or, or, or the Vicar uh, of Christ. It's under Christ, the head. And therefore, there are many types of Christians, many types of individuals. 
uh, you have many types of denominations, but we're one body, the mystery of the church. And so the church does have a collective element, but it's not the same collectivity uh, that you'll find uh, in the uh, in the Marxist world. It's very interesting as well that our, our, our left-wing uh, society currently talks a great deal about diversity, and yet it's in the... Uh, its diversity is always to push us toward being the same. We must have a party line. I don't know if uh, you saw the, that uh, some of these horrible uh, riots uh, uh, regarding uh, Black Lives Matter and other things in some of the cities where the crowd would go through and intimidate people in the various restaurants, raising their fist and saying, say Black Lives Matter. Say, and, and, and that notion of uh, not a dialogue, what do you mean by Black Lives Matter? What, what are we talking? Why do I have to do this? Why am I having to salute? Because they really don't believe in diversity. Uh, and it is among the Christians and the conservatives and generally people of goodwill, I think. Let's talk about things. What do you mean by this definition? What do you mean by this concept? We, in fact, have more diversity both in our churches and I think in our society uh, than uh than the left wants. The left is a conformist uh, concept. Interesting, you go back to uh, Maoist uh, Russia, uh, China, excuse me, Maoist China, and remember, everyone was wearing the same clothing, carrying the same red book, uh, quotes from Chairman Mao, mm -hmm. and you go back to the Nazis, I mean, it was conformity. Uh, the The notion of, uh, of difference and diversity uh, is is a is a principle, and again, if you go back to the writings of uh, Russell Kirk, uh, conservative, wrote for National Review, later became uh, University Bookman was his publication. Uh, I think they're not in print anymore. I think they do an online version, yeah, and he's passed away. He he became a Catholic at the end of his life. Uh, anyways, he uh, he emphasized the notion that in his ten principles of conservatism that one of the principles was variety, which is very interesting. That's probably written in the 50s. The, the, the notion that conservatives can live with different people, different families, different cultures, uh, and we don't have to make people conform to what we believe. I think in your answer, you touched on uh, what uh, the application of what I was talking about because one of the big dangers that I see with collectivist social justice is collectivist punishment against certain groups. It, like uh, in, in Soviet Union against the Kulaks, uh, the Maoists that went against all the educated intellectuals. Uh, the Uyghurs that, in China. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I, 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 one of the things I noticed, if I could summarize kind of an idea here, you start out talking about our concept of total depravity. That's personal. The problem is internal. There's a relationship between us and God. Social justice, by contrast, everybody else is the problem. And uh, it's like we used to say, uh, this is the Chinese army, two million men marching and you're the only one in step. Everybody's <laughs> out of step with me. Everybody is the problem but me. And, and salvation then is in legislation uh, and the violations of the law have to do with what you believe rather than what you do. There is no due process. Uh, this whole thing, the talk in the air right now in this Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and all this other intersectionality is another one. The more victimist, victimization you can stack up, the more superior you are, and you're not personally responsible for anything. So you end up like a kangaroo court. I'm just thinking how much like the French Revolution this thing is versus due process, bring the facts. Uh, and, and the other thing is the standard. What is the standard by which we're judging? Uh, it's a complete rejection, a complete rejection of the Ten Commandments. Uh, it didn't surprise me your comment about how the uh, liberality re regarding sex, uh, because that's one of the places that uh, it seems to me that uh, this thing enters in and destroys a whole society. It's one of the easiest ways to get people to fall. Matter of fact, one of my favorite writers, Jay Bujashevsky from there in Austin, says he's never met a college student who actually 
rejected Christianity because of its uh, weakness intellectually. He says they always stick their toe in sin and then justify it. Mm -hmm. And it's usually in that area of abusing drugs or or some kind of sexual immorality. Uh, but anyway, that's I don't know if I'm understanding you correctly, but that's that's kind of what I'm hearing and what my perception of it is. Yeah, that's uh, I, I agree, and, and it's it's interesting. I uh, was talking to uh, one of my uh, former pastors, and uh, he asked, "Well, what do you think the strongest argument against Christianity is?" And I said, "Sex." And I don't mean that that it, that it is actual argument against Christianity. I mean it's the greatest temptation, and therefore. Uh, it is often, especially in our current society, the means by which the gospel is attacked and the uh, the scriptural moral system is attacked. And I think uh, we're seeing it with the leverage uh, being done with uh, uh, the gay society, but I think it was it's also true of the heterosexual society, uh, the, the growth of uh, cohabitation. Uh, mm-hmm. I was reading a, a government statistic that was indicating that there's actually a major growth in cohabitation among the elderly, among because it oh, it's too easy. You know, why get married at this point in life? Why follow biblical principle? We'll just live together. Well, there are incentives. The government has has incentivized that as well. Uh, women are married to the Larry Elder says that women in the black community are married to the government, and it's encouraged. Because the biggest problem in the in the black community is not. Uh, is not white supremacy. It's fatherless homes. Yeah. 70%. 70% of the kids are born, young men are born out of wedlock. So, uh, and and uh, interesting book by E. Michael Jones. Jones. Yeah. E. Michael Jones. Domin- see, Dominandi, uh, Libido Dominandi. Fascinating books, but I can't remember, like 700 pages or something. But it's a, it's a long history of how this, how uh, tyrants have used sexual liberty so-called, as a tool for social control. And just so you, you're mentioning this, uh, the French Revolution attacked marriage, the Russian Revolution, depending on the point in history when mm-hmm. uh, Stalin and, and whatnot, uh, they would either support marriage or attack marriage, depending on what they felt was advantageous for the party mm-hmm. in society at a given moment. Totally relative to them. And of course, if you look at the manifesto, the Communist Manifesto, attacking the family is a is a foundational principle, mm-hmm. because the, the, the family, the church, in fact, any organization that commands uh, duty, respect, order outside the state is a threat to the state. Mm-hmm. So even your friendships are uh, a threat to the state if they feel if the state feels. We don't want that. We, you need to do this. Your your relationship is, for the for the party for the Marxist viewpoint is always to the state, and the state is heading toward this ideal world. So get in line. Yeah, yeah you kind of um, there has to be conformity. That's actually a very religious idea. Yeah. There's no such thing as uh, a man without a religion. It's just a religion of humanism. You you said in the article a really interesting. Uh, point here that I think makes it so attractive to people is this idea that uh, social justice, the enshrinement of ideas which are in part even Christian, but which are incarnated in our time among the collectivist liberals, especially Marxist. What what are what would you say are those elements that are Hebrew Christian? Why does it sound so good to people? There is a sense in which communism or Marxism is a Christian heresy. That is to say, the the elements that you might pick out are, and, and these are whether they're accurate or not. This mm-hmm. is the appeal. Uh, mm-hmm. I say, I care for the poor. Well, it's easy to go to the scripture uh, and and find uh, elements to the prophets, especially some of Christ's words. Remember the poor, says Paul, uh, that the, the notion that the poor, especially for, for the real poor, I'm talking about people that are needy, broken, helpless, that 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 we as Christians are to be called to help them is part of the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. But by treating them then as a class, which is the the Marxist genius of their diabolic genius, is to treat them as a class 
that you then can say, who again, who are the oppressors? This is a class, not of individuals, but a group that becomes uh, the proletariat, the people that need to be, uh, that, that you use. That is an appeal to some people to say, well, Marxism cares about people. Or you've often heard this uh, even in our politics that uh, the left cares more about people than, than the right when uh, it is uh, kind of generally evident from uh, statistics that it's the uh, the conservatives and the Christians that give uh, pretty uh, significantly to the poor. In other words, the the Christians are the ones who are charitable and care about the poor. In, in a sense, it's it, and the in the uh, uh, the left is not. Another example of that is in the United States, which is, again still is a nation very influenced by Christian uh, culture and, and doctrine, that people have a personal view that I have, to, that I personally need to take care of people when I find out that they have needs, whether it's our local pregnancy counseling center, whether it's our city, uh, 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 city gate ministry for men, you know, it's the, uh, whatever it is, uh, Christian charities, food for, for the hungry, etc. But in a society in which, and this is true of Europe, in a society in which the state has assumed all responsibility for the poor, people give less. They don't, I don't have to give personally. I don't have to take personal responsibility to be a Christian, to act like a Christian, to sacrifice as a Christian for others. The state will take care of them. So the state becomes, again, a false, foul church, a church that it is not really a church, but acts as the uh, caring for the poor, even when they do or don't. It doesn't matter. People kind of write it off and say the state will take care of them. They should look at their welfare. Think, well, go ahead. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point about uh, collectivizing the poor as some sort of, of class because the state has therefore targeted that class and built up big bureaucracies. And I'm reading a book called Authority. Uh, it's by Jean-Marc Berthoud. And I think it's, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it's called something like Authority in Christian Living. And one thing it points out with the, with this bureaucratic approach and bureaucracies having authority that there is plausible deniability and no one of the, the bureaucrats ends up responsible for any harm that they do to the poor. And these bureaucracies have done a lot of harm by breaking up families, by encouraging uh, people to, to uh, not work, and has done lots of harm. But who do you blame? If you don't have individual justice, you, you cannot have collective justice against the state for one thing, they give themselves immunity for that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But that also seems another place where social justice in the form of uh, the war on poverty, which I think is a social justice program as opposed to a, a Christian justice, which does mandate that we support the widow and orphan. So would you agree that we, frankly, I think these bureaucracies show that when we try to bring about utopia in the manner that you've described, we actually bring about hell on earth. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and again, utopia. It, <laughs> you see it in uh, when you have individuals or churches or Christian organizations or, or even non-Christian, but if, if you're morally based, uh, faith based organizations. Uh, helping the poor, uh, they're on the they're on the street level, so to speak. They're dealing with individuals as human beings, as souls. Christian organizations, especially, say, "Wait, there's a bigger problem here. Your sin. You need the gospel. There's a bigger problem. Uh, you're in rebellion against God. You, the reason you're having problems is you uh, you have uh, alcohol. Uh, you're an alcoholic, or you're using drugs, or you're being sexually promiscuous." A Christian organization can deal with the real base, what is creating the poverty, what is creating the culture of poverty and the uh, manifestation of dysfunctional uh, life because it, it's sin. The state, on the other hand, none of that is 
on the table. And instead, you're, you, you are a, an entity. Uh, I mean, that's been, some of them are very nice people that work for the government. I'm just saying, nevertheless, you are, you are a client of the government. Fill out this form. Uh, you can, you'll either pass the paperwork or you won't. You'll get the money, blah, blah, blah. No, there, there isn't the sense of dealing. Uh, and again, I, he, he's no longer our favorite conservative, but of uh, what uh, Will, uh, George Will called soul craft. We're dealing with human beings, not, uh, not uh, just manifestations, a, a unit. But the state treats them as units. It has to. Again, uh, so and, and then that's the one element that's negative in the state. The other element is that, like you just mentioned, sometimes their policies are absolutely detrimental because of the way they're designed to the human being. They actually encourage the breakup of families. They incentivize bad behavior. Mm-hmm. They encourage people, they don't say it, to game the system. And so you you have the exact opposite of what they think they're doing is their result. And that's really the frightening thing where we stand in history at this moment, because we have both Republican and Democrat uh, uh, histories of since since the Great Society. It's really been jump ahead two steps with, with uh, left-wing uh, social programs, pull back one step with Republican uh, budget cuts, jump ahead two more steps. One. So back and forth, and it's not always a pattern, but I'm just saying uh, you have this tendency to simply go along, uh, get ahead, go along with the world we live in, and not really address the fact that you really need to disestablish the uh, the disincentives put in place by government. What mm-hmm. I yeah. I'd say uh, not just sometimes, but most of the time, if uh, if a policy from the government that uh, meddles where it really isn't supposed to, that is, its function is justice, that is, punishing wrongdoing. In that sense, our sense of it is that punishing wrongdoing, it isn't uh, uh, salvation through law or sanctification through law. That's really what the, in our terms, you might narrow it down to that. But if there is anything good comes out of it, it's by accident or because there's a bureaucrat who maybe is a Christian who knows better and who finds ways around. Uh, You can do that here. I, I live in Mexico. And uh, you deal with uh, the bureaucrats here and it's finding the right kind of words and how to deal with them. And sometimes it's paying a bribe. That's how people survive here. I want to oh, go ahead. If you have a say, one, one other thing, uh, it, it's very interesting in the American tradition, whether it's part of American character or the Christian element in American character, that de Tocqueville, uh, Democracy in America, when he, and this was in the 1830s, I believe, when he came to America and wrote his uh, treatise, pointed out that Americans are always inventing self-help, small group, small organizations. Um, uh, again, I'm living in the Philly area now. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Franklin was a, was a deist, but he, he invented the free log, the first free library in, in Philly. He invented the notion of a uh, volunteer fire company. Americans see the problem and begin solving it on an individual, low-level, community basis. Yeah, that's and what uh, – go ahead. Yeah. The Little Platoons, as they're called. Yeah, which was uh, mm-hmm. which Edmund Burke with uh, the Little Platoons. Mm-hmm. That's where America succeeds. And, the government, and, and unfortunately, what the government has been doing is killing the Little, uh, the little Platoons, as you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where the, the, the growth – the individual accountability, the, the individual caring can take place at the best level because we you see both the advancement and the negation in people's lives. You, you say, oh, I've given you this money, but you've used it for, for alcohol or uh, we've got you a job, but you're not getting to work. Uh, the government doesn't keep accountability in the same way that an individual can say, hey, tomorrow it's a cutoff. It's over. Uh and that kind of personal accountability can only can occur on one to one individual basis, and it gets rid of this. I have I'm entitled to my welfare check. I'm entitled to do what I want uh, with my life, and uh, the government really doesn't care as long as you're dependent on them. Exactly. Now, one thing I want to go over with you because we had this in your in your list of 
of topics is uh, Black Lives Matter. And I want to preface it by saying I grew up when Jim Crow was alive and well in Texas. And the first time I ever became aware of that was before I was of school age because I lived in a small town in West Texas. My father decided to take me to look at the black school because there was segregation and the black children had to go to a rundown one room schoolhouse. And he took me to see that because he was totally repulsed by it. Mm -hmm. And I also watched on TV. I watched the news when I was young because I had decided to be a lawyer early on and decided I had to watch the news for some reason um, as preparation. But uh, I also remember seeing on the news attempted prosecutions of white people who had gone and killed black people in Klan activities, mm -hmm. becoming acquitted. I remember how people spoke. I remember how people treated them. And then we fast forward and, and of course things started changing, but there still are some problems that I see uh, in, in our judicial system, particularly because one thing is true. I don't know. I don't know that it's true that a bigger percentage of black men are killed by police than whites. I hear it's not. But one thing that is true is there are a larger percentage of black men who are wrongfully convicted because of misconduct by the police and prosecutors. And that's one area that I'm really concerned about myself because I've been following that topic of wrongful prosecutions for a few years now. Given that history, what are your thoughts about Black Lives Matter, considering that there are some things that we should be repenting of that happened in the past? with respect to how those people have been treated. Great point and great summary. Racism exists. Uh, lots of sinful patterns exist and racism is a particularly uh, bad one. My, in uh, my family, uh, I have a, a, a black daughter-in-law, I have a black grandchild, I have a, uh, a, a black adopted grandchild, so I have two, two black kids in my, uh, in my, uh, among my uh, family. Uh, so uh, race is part of our family. I was, again, raised in Buffalo in an uh, evangelical uh, small denomination. Uh, I'll just give a quick anecdote. Uh, I was, uh, when I was in the, before age 10, I lived in the neighborhoods which were all white. By the time I was 20, they were fully integrated neighborhoods. Uh, the first black person to move on our fam in our neighborhood moved back next to our home. And everyone looked at my father because in those days you'd put your signs up immediately and move out. And my father said, why should I move? He's, he's just a human being like me. Another anecdote, my, my father set the tone of, of racial harmony in our, in our family. Uh, he, uh, uh, there was a, a racist in our church. We invited a black preacher to come and preach. Uh, the racist came up to my father and said, if you invite that guy back to our church again, I'm leaving. And my father invited him back the next week. <laughs> so uh, uh, that's the, the tone of my background. Race is, is there. Race is real. And we must recognize, especially our, our black Christian uh, brothers and sisters, that they experience something we don't. And our black fellow citizens do. And it's hard for them. The history is very real to them. We don't realize, again, that most white people History doesn't exist until now. Uh, many whites came over uh, in the 19, uh, in late 1800s and 1900s. Uh, uh, all the immigration, uh, race wasn't for them a factor, but it's still there. So now let's get to Black Lives Matter. It's one of those, uh, first, it's almost something that you have to dissect. So if someone says to you, Black Lives Matter, uh, the first thing you pause, uh, I'm going to go through this little routine and say, well, well, you don't, you're not just saying, uh, anything that's black matters. You mean black human lives matter. And of course, that's what I mean. Black human lives matter. And then the next thing is, cause you're someone saying, well, well, why are you saying that? You'd say, well, that's because all lives matter. And some people will say, well, well, of course all lives matter. That's why black lives matter. But you're getting in most reactions to that, 
I don't know why you're saying all lives matter. I'm saying black lives matter. And then you realize, so you're not meaning black lives matter because all lives matter. You're meaning something else by it. And then you dig further, more dissection. It's a, a code phrase, not for all lives matter, but for the fact that black lives matter are in danger from policemen. And you're implying with it, most policemen are racist. And again, you're trying to dig and sort this. And of course, most people, policemen are not racist. But there is, in fact, a bad relationship uh, uh, being uh, exacerbated by this thing between the black community and, and police. And as you said, the numbers don't bear up what, what is being asserted. And then you say, well, yeah, if that's what you're saying, we need more uh, better policing and better training and and uh, perhaps more black policemen. I, I actually think that would help a great deal. But in some of these communities where this is, the riots are going on, they have black people in charge, black police uh, chiefs in charge of them. So it's not just race. And that's when you go to the next layer. Black Lives Matter, uh, the organization, has a historically a Marxist uh anti-police, anti-capitalist, anti-constitutional, anti-West. Anti-family. Anti-family, a whole list. They are cultural Marxists and Marxists. And they were proclaiming, we've been trained as Marxists. We are here to bring the system down. Since then, they've pulled that that data off their, their website. But historically, that's what they are. So when we talk to our average citizen and a person says Black Lives Matter, I think most white folks saying that are saying, yeah, we need to treat other human beings decently, justly. We, and if, they're, if, if police are being brutal, then they have to stop. Blacks have a, a, a history that deals more with, yeah, we have a long history of this and driving while black and all that, and we want it to stop. We're, 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 we're going to say something. And, and then there are the people who are anti-police, we're getting starting to get into the the panorama of this with people who have a little bit more of the Marxist element. Let's defund the police. It's like insane. You can't have again from a Christian conservative point of view. You can't have a society without police because societies are full of sinners. You must have police. So why would any rational person say defund the police? Because it's not rational. It's Marxist ideal. We want to create a revolutionary situation by which revolution can take place. We want chaos because chaos is the basis for revolution. So there is an element. So now you're getting through this, this pattern. So you really, when talking to people, have to find what is it they mean? And it's hard because I just had to go through this whole routine with it. And the average person may be using it in one of those many different senses. I don't think the average person is a Marxist. I think the average person, black and white, sees a world when there's there's evil in it and wants us to move toward good. As Christians, we should be saying, okay, let's, what's justice? What's right? What's good? How can we achieve it? Uh, what practical steps can we do to, uh, uh, to get black input uh, into our police? What can we get more black uh, men and women as, as uh, police people? Uh, can we have better training? Uh, I don't think it's easy during these riots to try out. How to, how to, I mean, I wouldn't want to be a policeman. How do you deal with uh, a rioting situation without using counterviolence? Not an easy thing. And then it, that feeds on it. See, they were violent. It, it, so it puts us in a very difficult. We are in a, a place I would not have thought possible after the civil rights movement, the general structure of the society that eliminated de jure uh evil, but there's still, as you pointed out, there was still going on, even after de jure, uh, de jure uh, uh, evil, uh, that, that uh, you still had de facto uh, racism and elements of it within the jury system, within the uh, uh, judicial system, uh, within the punishment system as well, uh, the criminal justice system. Uh, one of my children had some criminal justice issues, and I, and I know you're a lawyer, so I'm going to be criticizing you here, but uh, dealing with the criminal justice system was a terrible headache for us. You would go to events, and you'd get there, and you'd wait for three hours, and then they'd say, oh, we canceled that hearing today, and no one told us, so we would take an entire day to wait. And now I'm thinking, I'm a middle-class person 
with the ability to take off half day work and uh, a, a, a day of work and go and do this or that. What about the poor? What is it like? Who is acting as the uh, ombudsman for them to take their hand and say, stand here. We're going to tell you what's going on. There, there, it seems to me a, a good reform, I'm, I'm just throwing this out, would be a for us to actually begin almost like a consumer methodology, see what it's like to walk through the criminal justice system as an individual, as a black, as a Hispanic, as a poor person, as a middle-class person. What are we seeing as we go through the system? And how can we uh, uh, reform it in a way that would, again, bring more justice? Well, I'll tell you, the first thing that needs to be done is that accountability for both police and prosecutors needs to be strengthened because they're giving, prosecutors are given complete immunity. So if they knowingly, wrongfully convict someone, they, they are immune. I mean, there there are some uh, kinds of cases that can be brought against them, but you can't, if, if you're a victim of that, you can't sue that prosecutor for what he did. Same thing with police. They're given qualified immunity, both in the criminal and the the, the civil realm, but I, but playing off what you just said about your experience with the the justice system, that was the fuel that in Ferguson that the death of George Brown lit into an explosion because of all because in St. Louis County they had all these tiny municipalities who had all had their own little police forces. They they were outsiding people to make quotas and, and the arch city uh, defenders there, the public defenders there did, did some research and a paper on that. And then they were processed through these municipal courts and had to miss days of work. And some of them, when they thought that, you know, and they'd show up and show up and it'd be called off and the police, the police witness wouldn't be called off. And instead of dismissing the case, they'd give the state a continuance and it would go on and on. And finally, some of them, if they felt that they couldn't uh, miss a day of work, wouldn't show up so that because they needed to feed their family. So then they would have more charges against them and more fines. Mm -hmm. And the problem is we, we have a justice system instead of a, a justice instead of justice. It's a system and it treats people like cogs in a machine. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that makes it difficult these days, is we got vocabulary invented, new vocabulary, all this idea about you know, what is intersectionality, uh, that sort of thing. You know, you got to look it up and see what they mean. And then we have these discussions that are so dichotomized. If you criticize the police, you're all for the black community. Uh, if, you, if you say black men need to be responsible for their own activities, so Larry Elder says, uh, the highest rate of homicide is in the black community, black on black violence. And so we're not allowed to get all of this on the table and judge it and evaluate it in terms of what God has to say about justice and righteousness. It's all ideology one way or the other. So uh, there are some there are serious problems with the justice system. Uh, but making it all about race, to me, the idea of the biological race my race is Christian, but the idea of biological race is Darwinian, has nothing to do with the way God created us. You are, I, there's a lady that uh, was on uh, Larry Elder's Uncle Tom movie. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. And she's a politician. And she, they're sitting around the table talking with all the actors in this documentary. And she said, in many cases, white people today are enslaved, enslaved to a sense of guilt enslaved to uh, ideologies. And uh, my wife and I, we I spent 20 years in the army, so it's an interracial community. If we lived in a community that didn't have people from other other groups who wouldn't, my kids wouldn't know what to do with themselves. But uh, people that are all in for the ideology of helping the black people have no relationships with actual black people. Uh, and so it's more like a unburdening and I'm so I'm superior to you because I supported so-and-so. Well, if you voted for somebody because of his race, how is that any different? We're not evaluating things in terms of law, in terms of justice, in terms of facts anymore. Uh, we're driven by emotion. 
And, uh, and it's on purpose by, at least our enemies are taking advantage of it. And I think a lot of it is because the church has lost its way and doesn't teach that uh, the law is still applies as our source of, of ethics as Christians. Absolutely. Um, I think we need, again, like you're saying, the, the moral structure, uh, which is being undermined uh, by the society generally, we have to, uh, the, the commandments of the Lord, the Ten Commandments are sub, especially summarized in the, the greatest commandments and summarized all through the, the New Testament, resummarized, resummarizing the Old Testament, give, uh, give you the, the framework for, for a family, for a society, uh, for, for a justice system. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, you know, we, we, we're dealing with the years of traditional uh, legal operations, which have been generally very sound in the West, but nevertheless, they calcified. And I think uh, we almost need to, we need a reformation of the, of the judicial system. I and, think in some ways what we have is uh, we still have the vocabulary of our English common law system. But what's really behind it is a civil law system like Roman civil law. And we have too many courts uh, and too many places where you can be thrown in jail without due process. I think we got to get rid of half the courts we got, these bureaucratic courts. Uh, and a lot of those people mean well, but they, they just get a job. There's a, a fellow that retired from working in Illinois in, uh, in the welfare system. He came here looking to be a missionary after he was a nice Christian family. And so I asked him, so, so what did you do? What are you, what is your, what are you good at? What do you think uh, is your, uh, something that you're good at? You could contribute it. What did you do in your job? He looked at me and said, fill out forms. (laughs) (laughs) For you in the government. (laughs) Well, guys, we're coming up on an, we're coming up on an hour. And so, uh, Dr. Sauer, do you have a call to action for Christians about what we can do about the situations that we're talking about in order to institute justice and distinguish it from the social justice that those in the street are pushing? Well, it always uh, it's, it's a cliche, but I think we have to begin with prayer. Uh, we have to acknowledge uh, the Lord uh, is in charge of reality and that we are praying to him uh, as isaiah said uh, uh, in isaiah 6 he's got a vision of the lord and the lord's saying i got a message that i want to send out and we have to say here am i send me which then means you need to uh, uh what am i gonna what's the message and that means uh scriptural study be active in your church really uh begin start reading uh you mentioned a number of books uh, and we've all did this presentation, which means as a Christian, you have to uh, begin restudying uh, the roots of, of a biblical law framework for society and family. I think also become active in organizations which you are confident of, which have a, a, a Christian biblical uh, statement of faith, that they're uh, orthodox. You may not agree with everything any organization does, but if you can see that the that Christ is present, that the works of, of the gospel and, and uh, uh, of moral order are being pushed through an organization, this would be also true of non-Christian organizations. A number of conservative organizations may exist, which are still doing good work. So become active, which means get on their mailing list, read, volunteer, uh, donate, uh, I also think that if you are so inclined uh, to become uh, again active as a volunteer in organizations that are that are that are doing that kind of work, including running for positions in your local governments or in your your local party, um, those are I mean those are all practical things. Then you have your own personal gifts that that you may uh, you may be a person who uh, uh, loves to. Uh, food bank or whatever. You might be involved in people's life where you really get down into the uh, granular element of living with other human beings. You see what their needs are. Uh, you become not just a person who goes to a church. You're the person at the food bank or at the 
pregnancy counseling center or at the local uh, uh, legal uh, uh, help organization, and they see you and you listen to them and they're telling you their, their sob story. And sometimes it's a real sob story and sometimes it's part of the game. But you listen to them, you say, you know, you got some problems. Can I pray for you? That changes the relationship. You've listened, and here's what I'm going to do to help you. So a lot of those things are really for us to begin living our Christian faith which uh, and finding out what our gift is, because everyone isn't called to lead. Some, uh, As uh, Milton said, we also serve to only stand and wait, but we're willing to stand and wait and willing to uh, to be there when God calls. See, uh, where can our listeners find your writing, some of the things that you're working on now? Uh, on my list of things to do for the new year, I'm going to get my daughter to help me, uh, is to, to set up a blog and to uh, get some things. If you just uh, did uh, James L. Sauer, uh, you'll find a lot of my articles are on the Internet, uh, mostly from Touchstone Magazine. Calcedon had, had uh, some up. Uh, so there are, they tend to be uh, uh, conservative or uh, some literary. Uh, and uh, a lot of my book reviews were a Christian librarian. That's from the Association of Christian Librarians. And again, I have, oh, you see over on this left, there's this, oh, you don't see it. I, but for, the, for those listening, behind me is a, a collection of C.S. Lewis books about 200, including Inkslinging and so on. And then on one wall, there's also about 10 different trays. Those are the books I'm writing. And I've got one at about 95%. It's a collection of uh, uh, quotations and analysis of conservative thoughts. And I've got uh, some creative pieces I'm working on. So basically on the internet currently, and hopefully I'm going to get some more stuff up. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. God bless.